What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, I have Andrew Klein from Strife and a bunch of other bands, but uh, mainly known for his guitar playing in the band Strife. And, uh, yeah, it's a cool interview. We go through uh, all his stuff, getting into punk, and then all the way through his current day stuff. It's a nice, long interview. It's how I like the interviews on this pod to be, so I hope you enjoy that. Um, Also, the Nardcore for Life comp went up for pre-order last week on uh, July 1st. So if you have not pre-ordered it yet, please go to indecisionrecords.com and pre-order the Nardcore for Life LP. It's a project that uh, myself and Stu from the pod uh, helped put together. And then, uh, you know, episode one, Joe Rivas, you know, he's always there helping out. And then, uh, so yeah, it's super rad. We're super excited that it's coming out. Uh, it's on Indecision. You get to hear uh, my band, Retaliate. You get to hear Stu's band, Omega Point. You got Joe Rivas' band, Out of Trust. You got uh, the old schools represented, Stalag 13, Ill Repute, False Confession. You got, uh, you know, some some bands that were more known during like the a little later years, like In Control, No Motive. And then uh, you got uh, lots of new bangers, so... You got Downpressor, you got Minus, you got Dead Heat, you got Civil Conflict. You know what you're uh, you're getting when you plunk down to pre-order that comp. So handle business, uh, get that bundle, buy one for uh, you know your favorite family member or your best friend, and uh, and do that. That that really helps us out. If you uh, want to support the podcast, you can go to Patreon.com/slash 185 Miles South. And become a monthly patron. These guys are my personal heroes. Guys and girls um, are my personal heroes. They support the pod every month. They, uh, I'm doing my best to always try to put up bonus content for you guys. And uh, it's much appreciated that you guys have kept the show going. Um, also, you know, subscribe to this thing. Like, rate, and review it wherever you listen to the podcast. And, uh, you know, spread the word. Share with your friends. Um, you know, a lot of podcasts were going for like a year or two before I discovered them. And, uh, you know, I wish I had a buddy that had texted me and be like, oh, check this shit out. And then I, I wouldn't have been sleeping on for so long. So spread the word. Um, appreciate it, guys. Let's get on with the pod. Hundred eighty-five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. All right, this week on the pod we have Andrew Klein from Strife. How you doing? Yeah, what up? Glad to be here. What's going on? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, had to have you. Oh, you. I mean, this is Southern California hardcore powerhouse. I mean, you can't fuck with uh, one truth, right? Well, Ventura County also. So I know I know you're a. What, so is your is your uh, is your podcast supposed to be like San Diego based nah, or like Ventura? Based? I'm trying to do all of California this year. So okay, because I know you kind of like, especially with the graphics, you focus on. On the on on Oxnard Ventura, yeah, and I know a lot of people you interview, so yeah, I want to you know we fit what fit I what I want right in there, right? What I wanted to do is get like primary sources down of a lot of my uh, 
like the older punk dudes from Oxnard. Um, but I've yeah. I've done most of that, so it's time to branch out a little bit. The next generation. Here we are. Yeah, I know. Yeah, here we are. You got a, you got a whole. Do you, you okay? Well, what year did you get into hardcore? Like start listening to it sure. when I was probably like six sixth grade. Okay, um, which would have been around what year? You know, um, uh, probably like eighty seven. Yeah, makes me sound sound real old, but I was little. I was a little. I was a little last kid, and and uh, you know, um, I started. It was funny. So like, my first thing I got into as a kid. You know, I, you know, you grow up, you play sports. I was playing soccer, but then somehow I got in really into break dancing. Okay. But that didn't last long, but I was like a break dancer for like one year. I think I was like third grade and then started skateboarding. And then sixth grade, as I was skateboarding, I had one friend, this kid, Anthony, who was uh, into rap music. So we were like really into like Run DMC, Beastie Boys. And then I had another friend named Mike, and we would skate together. And so he was, like, into the punk band. So, like, I got into punk through him. Um, he had an older brother, you know, and it was, like, one of those things, like, you see bands, logos, you know, written on, on the grip tape of a skateboard, right? And you go to the Music Plus, and you, and you try, to find, try to find those tapes, whatever is available. And, you know, and at that time, you could find punk and hardcore at you know, the major chains, which were Music Plus or Warehouse. But it was, you know, the bigger releases. Like, you could find Minor Threat, Black Flag, um, Circle Jerk, Suicidal, Corrosion of Conformity. Stuff that, you know, obviously Discord's on a major label, but stuff with major distribution. So, um, you know, the first tape, I, I tell this story often, but the first tape I uh, I bought was uh, Technocracy from uh, Corrosion of Conformity. Um and then from there, it was like, you know, all the classics from Minor Threat to Black Flag. Um, did you connect? Did jerks. you connect to that Corrosion and Conformity album? Or was it a little too much for like young years? Oh, I loved young it. Young years to take it. I loved it. Oh, that's awesome. I loved it. Like, it, it was funny. So it was like seventh grade. We had a, uh, we had like a little skate crew. We'd skate to school and, you know, graffiti, right? You know, you tag on the walls. And my first graffiti name was Farce. Nice. And that comes from the Corrosion song, um, Milking the Sick Farce, from Techno- uh, from uh, yeah, from Technocracy. So, yeah, I, lo- I-, I love that record. But that was, like, the first I heard. And then it was, like, the six songs with Mike. And, you know, so, like, yeah, we loved it. But, um, it, uh, you know, I didn't know what was weird or not weird or if that was met. Like, I had no idea. But also it was, like, we were into like DRI, but the first record we probably found was Crossover, right? right? right. You know, so it's like we were definitely in that. That was the time, the crossover time. So that those were the records you were finding. Is, um, is that what connected with you the most at the time? I, I you know, I, I think you were just like, as a kid, you're just open to anything. So you didn't really like see a difference. Sure. Um, you know, whether we we're listening to like The Descendants or The Freeze or suicidal we liked excel i mean we we're definitely into I th- a lot of the crossover bands because that was what was 
out at the time. You'd pick up a Thrasher and you'd see an ad for the jokes on you. And you're like, oh, that's cool. They're cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or you'd see like, um, you know, it was probably a little after Join the Army came out. We had the first suicidal. Um, but you know what I mean? Like you would just soak up whatever you found that, that was like looked punk or hardcore. You you were into it. It, it didn't really it didn't really matter and we didn't really like uh separate any of these bands no, i feel like, you oh, this, i mean my, this is what i'm into yeah, yeah. my early mixtapes could be one side lagwagon one side dia side you know so yeah for sure and but you know i do remember so th- this is one thing very uh a distinct memory i remember like saving up my allowance and i'm like oh i'm gonna go to a store and i'm gonna buy a tape and i'm like okay social distortion they're punk right so I bought Prison Bound. I didn't know. I was like, I think it was brand new at the time. I'm like, oh, I'm getting this tape. And I remember bringing that home. And to me, it sounded like a country record. <laughs> I, I don't even know what it sounds like now. But I, I remember thinking like, what the fuck is this? This is, you know, this uh, this is supposed to be a punk band. No, it sounds and like a country record. I was very, <laughs> I was very, yeah, I was very, I was very disappointed. You know, I was very disappointed and like, didn't really, uh, I kind of never really even gave them another chance. Like I, I knew them from like another state of mind. That's sure. that, that was a cool movie, but like I never went back and really listened to anything from social distortion. Like obviously I know the classics, but like, I think that record turned me off so much. I was like, I'm not into these guys, you know? Oh yeah. I feel you. I mean, the first Exodus record I, I ever listened to was that one with like the really weird artwork on the front cover. It was like their bad record. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and it, you know there was a time when every band you know was doing a bad record, so you could get burned, yeah. and, and, and you couldn't you couldn't listen to the records really ahead of time. So you're like, oh, I I've seen this band's name, uh, this must be cool, you know. So yeah, I mean it, it was really easy to pick the uh, pick the wrong record. Yeah, for, for sure. sure, for sure. So when do you pick up a guitar and start? Uh, when do you do your first band? So it's funny. So that so we'll keep going with the story about music, and, and we'll get into the band. So as I'm starting uh, seventh and eighth grade, um, we have a, a group of skater kids, and we're all skating to school. And my friend Mike, um, who we later start a band with in high school, but he has an older brother, and 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 we're finding out, like I said, Descendants, Freeze, Reagan Youth, all because his I guess his brother knew, knew these bands, right? And so at that time, I did get a guitar. We we had a we had this idea that we were going to do a band, and I think like he was going to sing because he wanted to be the singer, and someone else was going to play drums. I don't even remember. Someone was playing playing guitar, and they're like, "You're playing bass." I was supposed to play bass, but I went to the music store and got a guitar. So like I got this really weird. I, I don't even know what brand it was, but it. Um, it was this black, really cheap guitar that, you know, like it was from a music store, but it's like the very cheapest thing you could buy. And it like was black with bright green lightning bolts like all over it. Now, that was the first guitar I had. And I, I remember um, we never started the band. Um, but that was like the first thing I was like, all right, I'm going to play guitar. And I got it. And, I, you know, it's funny. I, I, I did take a few lessons. Um probably in seventh grade and I remember learning like fade to black from Metallica and um and uh maybe probably one or something 
from Metallica. But so I had this really metal, um, metal long hair uh, guitar player, and he was from this. Uh, he, pl- he played in this local. I guess they were like a glam band called Theater, um, which you may have heard of. They're from. They would play a lot of, of shows, and so that was my guitar teacher, but it didn't last very long. And then where do you go from there? When do you actually like do a punk band? Um, well, so still it, that, that takes me like into high school, okay. like, right. So, um, I started going to show. So in junior high, I, uh, I was very fortunate. I had a next door neighbor. My, my parents got divorced. I was in sixth grade. My dad moved into a new house, not far from my mom's. My next door neighbor was this old punker. Um, he wasn't old, older than me. He was probably, I don't know. <laughs> he was 25. Ten, ten year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably was. Yeah, older than me. Right. But the, the, cool, the coolest part, so he played drums. He was in a, a local um, band from Ventura County um, called Scratch Bongo Wax. Um, you've probably seen their name on flyers. Actually, Fred Hammer posted one today of an ill repute show that they played. Uh, but they're kind of like a punk garage rock. Pretty cool band, actually. Um, but the cool thing was he had this like incredible record collection. So he had like thousands and thousands of records. And it was like, whether it was like two-tone ska or reggae or like New York hardcore, um, all the touch and go stuff, he had everything. So I would go to his house and he would like loan me out. Like here's like three, four records, bring them home. I'd take them home. I would record them and then bring them back and then we'd trade them out. So it was like, from from him, I got into like he had like um, victim in pain. Um, he had like negative approach on vinyl. He had the fus. I mean, he literally had everything. He got me into Operation IV. Um, so that from from him, I kind of realized that I was into the New York bands. So I got really into like the New York hardcore bands. Um, and not really even knew, I, I didn't really even know, like, they were New York hardcore bands. You know what I mean? It was just like, I was just into this, the heavier side of, of the hardcore. And then so when I started, um, when I started high school, um, there was like <clears throat> one other kid that was like into hardcore at my school, this guy, uh, Jeff Moore. Um, and, uh, he saw me probably, I don't know, wearing like some sort of shirt, punk shirt or something. And we started talking and, and he was one year older than me and he was already like had gone to shows and he was friends with like Ray from Social Justice. And and from him, you know, is like he would loan me CDs and records and, you know, bands like Youth of Today. And, you know, I remember like we would always like order we'd go to the record stores and order records i remember trying to order like we would order like the sick of it all blood sweat and no tears and i remember trying to for the longest time i had the in effect cassette and we had all these bands so i was looking for the raw deal lp so longest time we're like where's this raw deal lp because the cassette says raw deal coming soon and it's a raw deal song not killing country right. so it's like we we had no idea that they changed their name so like we end up getting getting the uh the bright side like i don't know, like a bit after it came out because we we could never find it and we'd ask the guy to order it for us on cd and and he didn't know what it was so um 
yeah, so ninth grade, I start going to shows. Um, my first show was uh, the Circle Jerks at the Country Club. Um, can you, know, where, can you where describe this... the Country Club? Because it hasn't been discussed enough on this pod. Um, can you start so the, like the cap the... And, and what the stage was like and how big it was? Yeah, so the Country Club, it's in the San Fernando Valley. It's off of uh, Reseda Boulevard and Sherman Way. And it was crazy because it was like a theater. It was like, you know, 800 people, uh, probably capacity. Um, it, was a, it was a tall stage, probably like a four-foot tall stage with a barricade. And, you know, like my sister was older. Like my sister saw like Prince play there. Beastie Boys played there. But they would do like punk and hardcore. And it, it was really crazy because, you know, if there was a show, it didn't matter like if it was like, Instead, or Gorilla Biscuits, or Slapshot, or Circle Jerks, everybody would go. So it would be like, you know, their weekend shows would be completely packed, and you would have like hardcore kids, straight edge kids, uh, skinheads, metalheads, skaters. It was just a very diverse uh, crowd. And, uh, you know, like, amazing venue, like, some of my first shows and probably favorite shows of all times uh, happened there. You know, we would go see everything like Circle Jerks, uh, MDC, Instead, Grill Biscuits, Judge. Uh, we saw Chain of Strength there. We saw Infest there. Uh, a lot of bands. And all the shows, it was crazy. So all the weekend shows would be packed. And then they would do these Monday night shows. And there'd maybe be like 50 people. So we saw like Chain of Strength and End to End. Uh, and I think Positive Approach for about 50 people on a Monday night. We saw Infest there for about 50 people on a Monday night. Would, um, would they still have the barrier up for the small shows? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I I, I don't think they really knew what would be small or not. I'm not really sure. Yes. Yeah, so from what center. I remember, yeah. But But the way it was set up was like you could get on stage and stage dive, but, but it was kind of like there was a floor – and then behind it, there was like um, kind of like these poles separating the rest of the venue, which were tables and chairs. So like everyone would just actually dive off those poles from the back. So it's like it didn't matter if there was a barricade because you would just go, go to these poles and dive. And everyone's kind of like diving from the back and then going towards the stage. So it's like people it wasn't even like people would stage dive, but it wasn't even like necessary you know yeah um and then it was so packed and i was such a little kid you know i was a 14 year old skinny little kid like i would do a dive and i'd literally be on the crowd for the entire song like and you know what i mean and i was yeah. so light like i would never get put down and and it was pretty crazy i remember i saw against the wall there once and like mike madrid came up to me after the show and gave me a seven he's like oh you were that little kid like you were up there the whole time like yeah yeah you know um, but it was crazy. Like there was all, also a lot of crazy shit that happened. There was like a, a legendary agnostic front show that happened there with, you know, with a big, uh, a big fight with, um, the hardcore kids and, and the racist Nazis that showed up and, um, you know, it was, it was a scary place, you know, yeah, did, did every, I was 14. Did everything move like, cause it seems like the epicenter was like fenders and then did it kind of just... Fender shuts down and, and everything just moves to the country club? Because it seems like it's getting the same you type know, of shows. 
probably you know fenders like predates me probably probably like a, a year yeah but something. like you, you know by or, a year or, like you just switched over almost yeah so i'm assuming i think the country club was probably doing shows at the same time as fenders mm-hmm. uh but i think probably when fender shut down yeah like where else are those hardcore shows gonna go so they probably got the bulk of the, the hardcore shows then at that time right right um yeah, and, ev- and everyone plays the country club, like Bad Religion instead. And then oh, you're saying, ba- there, yeah, Bad Religion was there. Like it felt like, you know, every month Bad Religion had a show there, right? You know, instead played there all the time. Um, uh, I saw Judge there for the first time. Um, Gorilla Biscuits there for the first time. Like, but it, you know, it was a it was a big room. So it's interesting to see like regular hardcore bands could pack an 800 cap room, but also you have to think there wasn't like a show every day of the week like there is now. Like right, there there was like one or two shows a month, and you went to all of them, and you didn't discriminate like, oh, this is a melodic band, I'm not into that, or this is a punk band, or this is a hardcore band, or a straight edge band, like. You went to everything. Yeah, and and how was that like getting into hardcore bands like these intense bands, but then seeing them with a barrier? Or do you just you not you're not even thinking about that because it's like your first experience? No, I mean that that was normal to me. Like right, right. there's like right. okay, you go you go to this show, and this is what you do. And, okay, people are dr- jumping off these poles. I'm jumping off these poles. Right, right? It, you know what I mean? It what and it was like you know every now and then we'd have a friend like. Who ran up on stage and and dove? We're like, oh, that was crazy, but like, we didn't think it was out of the ordinary because we we didn't go up like grow up like going to shows in in a small venue right. or like in a in a in a youth space or whatever. You know, what I mean, it was like it it just seemed normal. You know, right. normal to us. Right. It's not we like it's anything. not like you're going from showcase to that. It's like this is your first. No. Yeah. 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 And. It didn't matter because the sh- the shows were so packed. It like literally didn't matter. Right, it's already intense and wild. That it's not like the barriers yeah, like yeah, separating yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Did you do? No, a, did no. you do a band before? All from the past. No. So 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 Strife. Um, we started Strife as Standis One um, okay. in about 1990. So okay. going to the country club, actually. So I met I met Sid, our drummer. Um, first, and Sid was uh, the next door neighbor of one of my close friends. That uh, he lived in my neighborhood, and I'd always go and skate at my close friend's house. And I remember Sid had just moved there, and he moved from Riverside, and uh, he was into punk and hardcore and skating. And so we were skating there, and I remember uh, meeting him one day, and he gave me the Minor Threat uh, VHS tape, the the live. Uh, like the buffalo so he gave me that and then we instantly became friends he was in a band called um sdi from uh riverside uh society defeated by ignorance and he was he was so he had already played shows he had already played spankies like his band played spankies with agnostic front probably in like 89 um they they played a bunch of shows actually like with uh Curtis from Chain of Strength used to be in a band called Malicious Intent and they they would play together because they were from the same area um so Sid, Sid had already gone to a lot of shows and he was into like 
RKL and DRI and a lot, lot of the similar stuff. Um, so we started going to shows together. He was, I think, a year, maybe two years older than me, um, but new in town. And so he went to a different high school than me. He went to Westlake High School. I went to Thousand Oaks High School. Um, Chad, who plays bass in Strife, uh, went to Westlake. So Sid had a little crew from Westlake. Um, and they kind of like everyone started getting into hardcore. So when we went to, I remember, I feel like it was a bad religion bad religion show at the country club we met rick in line uh waiting to get in and um he was like punk but also like getting into straight edge so he probably had like combat boots and x's on or something you know um and he was already in a band at that time called uh, monster club and monster club was actually uh all the members of still life but with rick singing um but they were like heavily influenced by the misfits hence hence the name monster club so um they were doing this punk thing and rick was getting into straight edge and straight edge hardcore we met uh immediately we all became friends and um they started the band and so originally it's coming full circle they started the band it was rick and sid um our friend scotty collin on bass who ended up uh in go it alone like years years later um and then the kid that originally played guitar was my friends who got me into punk his older brother who i said had the had the collection with bands like the freeze and reagan youth and stuff so like he was the original guitar player he worked at toys r us with sid and he was a really good guitar player um so they started jamming but he was also like a kind of like a stoner kind of guy and really flaky and so i think they jammed like once or twice and um didn't pan out so i remember going over to sid's house one day he had his uh he had his uh drum set up in his room and i was like oh i could i think he might even been waiting for the other guy to show up with his guitar and i was like oh i could i could play let's let's plug it in and so we started like jamming i think we wrote like a song of ours called Dedication, like right then. And I remember like playing guitar in his room. He's playing drums. I'm like jumping off his bed, just like, you know. And and then from then on, it was like, okay, we're doing this band. And like, uh, so Scotty was playing bass and he, he was good. Um, but he, uh, I think he played like two shows with us, recorded on the stand as one demo. And then he like disappeared and, uh, from what I understand, he, he started following the Grateful Dead, like turned into a hippie, started following <laughs> the Grateful Dead around the U.S., which is, you know, it's very uh, on trend right now in 2020. But like in like 1990, it was like so odd. No, no hardcore kid was listening to the Grateful Dead. Uh, so he disappeared. And then uh, Chad was just our friend. We're like, hey, you're playing bass. And it was like the same thing. Chad had already bought a guitar. He had one of those Marshall like mini stacks in his room. And he's like, all right, I guess I'm playing bass. So he bought, he bought a bass and, you know, and that was it. And, and that, that was the band. Um, you know, we played, I don't know, probably 10 shows as Stand as One. Okay. And then, cha- and then changed our name to Strife. So that was my actual first band. Okay. And so there's a Stand as One demo and then you do a Strife demo. Yes, yes. And so 
yeah, so we start playing out as Stand as One. We play uh, our first shows in, in Moore Park at Rick's uh, continuation, Moore Park continuation. And it was like um, outspoken. Downcast was supposed to play, but they canceled. Strife, um, I think it was Monster Club without Rick, so it was basically still life. And uh, a band called Discord. And we set it up ourselves at Rick's High School. It was like a benefit for like anti-vivisection. Um, and I remember like we already had friends like Ray from Social Justice and, and James from Social Justice came to the show. Dave Mandel was there, I think maybe before we even knew him. Uh, but, you know, there's starting to be this little scene. And then our second show, again, we set up ourselves, which is real crazy if you think about it. But, um, so we set up this show, and it was um, it was Chain of Strength, Outspoken, Solitude, Stand as One. Um, I want to say maybe Groundwork from Arizona played. We were friends with them at the time. Um, but anyway, we set it up. Our friend Stacy lived in like this condo complex, <laughs> and they had like a, a community pool. And within that community pool, there's like this small little community center. It's so weird. So we set up a show there. We we somehow rented a stage and a PA and had this really sick lineup of a show just in the middle of this like condominium <laughs> complex in, in Moore Park. Or see, uh, I think she was Moore Park, yeah, in Moore Park. So that was our second show. And then, you know, we're like meeting the guys at Chain of Strength and becoming friends with them. And, you know, we're all little little kids, so I think like... I don't know. In my opinion, I was like, oh, look at this cool little straight edge kid. Yeah, we'll be, we'll, we'll put you on a show, right? Sure. Just because, you know, I was a skinny little 14-year-old kid and, you know, the other guys were like 16. Like, kind of kind of crazy to think. Um, I think Stand is one. We played Toe Jam in Long Beach. Played the Red Barn in um, Santa Barbara with like uh, struggle and end of the line, maybe heroin. Um, I know we had a show booked in Santa Barbara with Green Day um, that there's a flyer for, but we didn't play that. Uh, um, but yeah, that would have been that would have been cool. Flyers cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, we played a played a handful of shows, and then um, yeah, then we changed our name to Strife, and from then it's like, you know, Sid had a good contact at Spanky's because he was from Riverside so we started playing Spanky's quite a bit um, and we got a lot of support early on from people like Caton from Hyrax who worked at Zed's Igby who worked at Zed's um, and this is before this is before or after the demo kind of right around the same time yeah. you know um, like I, th I think we from what I remember, we we played a lot of these shows um, as as Strife before the demo, or maybe you know it's hard to think. Did I, I? I don't think Hartsfield played on the demo, so I think it's after the demo. Um, that's how we meet the people at Zeds, and then Hartsfield joins the band. Hartsfield's living in in uh, Big Bear, and he's making a drive all the way to Thousand Oaks. It must have been like three hour drive. Jesus. To play in this band with with fourteen and sixteen year old kids, which is crazy. Um, so he ends up on the seven inch. But yeah, we start uh, we start just kind of making friends and playing shows. 
um, you know, our first little tour, I, I call it a tour, it was like three, three shows, uh, with Lifetime and up front, and, uh, we played like Toe Jam in, uh, Long Beach, we played a basement, um, called Club Mitch in Chula Vista, and it was like, I want to say it was Unbroken's first show, uh, which is really cool, um, and I could be wrong, and then we played, uh, Spanky's, so that was kind of like our first little, little tour, um, and then from then, from then on, we just, just started playing more, you know, we, we went to every show that we could, right, and we built this little scene in, from where, where we were from, from Thousand Oaks, like, when I started high school, right, there was, like, one hardcore kid in my high school, Sure. By the time I graduated, you know, there was like 30 hardcore kids at my high school, 30 hardcore kids at the the two other high schools in the nearest towns. There was a bunch of bands, you know, bands like Insurgents and Eyelid and Rainchild. And, you know, what I mean, so it, it was really cool to see the scene start. And, you know, I think that really helped us because, you know, we would play and it didn't matter if we were playing it. it at the showcase or Spanky's in Riverside, like two, three hour drive away. But we would bring car car loads of like 20, 30 kids. Right. So I think promoters were like, oh, well, I'm going to keep putting these guys on shows because they, they're bringing people. Right. Um, and that that totally um, I think that really helped us. Yeah. So before we jump into the two seven inches, um, there's a. There's a strange thing on your timeline from 92 that you played in Resurrection. Is okay, that... well, kind of. Okay. I, yes. You're on the Is for Life comp. You, do you play one song? Yes, that is true. Okay. That is true. How did that um, come about? Because so they're, they're a New Jersey band, correct? They're a New Jersey band. And I say, so I say I kind of played them. So basically what happened was um, uh, Resurrection and Mouthpiece fly out to the West Coast for like this kind of new age... Um, little tour so um the first show is at the roxy and it's like outspoken strife mouthpiece resurrection course of disapproval and it's like the first hardcore show at the roxy and everyone's there and it it was awesome like crazy show and you know it's like first time there's been a hardcore show in like a you know to us felt like like a real venue probably the first you know time we we're playing like a real venue right um i i say that with quotes you can't see that but i'm doing <laughs> air quotes well you're uh, playing on sunset but, boulevard know, like one of the the famous clubs yeah exactly and, and 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 it's like our you know we just met the guys in mouthpiece and resurrection i believe um they come out we become friends like we meet slash in the parking lot you know what i mean it's like yeah. it's like okay the, we're, we're like a band we're doing we're doing this thing so we play the show, and and so one of the guys, I don't even know if he ends up playing the Roxy, but he flies in, he, and and he's playing in Mouthpiece, and I guess he's playing in Resurrection too, and all of a sudden he just like disappears, and he's at the airport. So he, he's gone. He's, he's the guitar player in Mouthpiece, and I guess... I don't know if he was supposed to be playing bass in Resurrection or guitar, and they had to like move some stuff around. So somehow Resurrection's left without uh, a bass player. Okay. So 
I was like, I'll do it. I didn't know any any of their songs. Um, and, and, I, and I remember they're like, oh, yeah, it, it's cool. Like, I learned the seven inch. I think they had like maybe maybe three other songs and they kind of showed them to me. But they were like, it doesn't matter. Just when we start playing them, just jump around, hit your bass. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. Let's let's go. Right. So uh, we play a big New Year's Eve show at um, Shea Cafe. And that was like uh, similar lineup. Strife, I believe, Outspoken, Mean Season. I want to say maybe Unbroken played that. Um chorus of disapproval and i, I want to say that was the first show um i played with um resurrection and then um we did a radio show i think it was kxlu and that's that's where the recording came uh for the it's for life uh, comp and that was one of the songs that i didn't know how to play so if, if <laughs> anything sounds weird on there it's because i had no idea w- how the song went uh, but maybe it's cool. I, I have to, I have to re-listen, but I remember, so, so like, uh, I have to write like a term paper. I guess I'm in the 11th grade or something at that time. Uh, and I have to write a term paper the next day. So I'm at the, uh, I'm at the radio show, like reading the cliff notes to like, King Lear or something like try, trying to like because I didn't read the book tr- right. trying to absorb as much of this book in my head from the clip notes so I could write my term paper the next day um, and I had I ended up getting an A on the term paper so nailed it working nailed yeah it. nailed it nailed it um, so yeah so that was that's how it ended up on that recording and then also that tour might have been the night before we we uh we played gilman street and that was like uh that was mouthpiece mouthpiece resurrection outspoken my first time to gilman probably at the time probably the furthest i've ever played outside from my house um and it's crazy so a crazy story about this that um i may have told before if anyone's heard this but i remember um we play the show and we're out in the parking lot and uh, everyone's kind of packing up, and I see this this dude on the bike, kind of like checking out the van. And I'm like, huh? I'll, I'll go talk to this guy. I don't know if he's like scoping out the van or what his deal is, right? So I go, hey, what's up, man? How are you? He's like, hey, man, cool show, right? And uh, I'm like, he's like, do you have any records? I'm like, yeah, yeah, there's there's selling some records. He's like, cool. He's like, you're straight edge. I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, I'm straight edge. I'm like, oh, cool, cool. He's like, yeah, cool show. He buys a record. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm in, a, I'm in a band, and uh, we're, we're recording. And he's like, give, give me your address, and I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you our recording. So turns out it was uh, Tim from Rancid. And, oh, uh, so sick. Yeah, he ends up sending me the first Rancid on, on tape when it comes <laughs> out, uh, which is not much, not much later. Um, I guess at the time he was, he was straight edge. So. Um, that was really cool. Or sober, um, at least. You know, yeah. Oh, he, he literally said, I'm straight edge. I'm like, all right, cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he's a crazy record collect, collector. And the crazy thing is, is like, uh, I play in a band called Berthold City now. And we, we played Gilman a, a few months ago um, with uh, Youth of Today. And uh, dude, Tim's older brother 
still volunteers there. So I met Tim's older brother, and he's like a record collector too. So I gave him a record, and you know I know Tim now. Uh, I know for a long time, but uh, I probably told him that story as well. And it was really cool to see that his brother. Um, I, th- I think he works for the for the city um, now, but he still volunteers at Gilman, which is you know it's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, so sick, so sick. So you go and you record the uh, the my fire burns on seven inch, and it's going to be on New Age. Um, but at the time, New Age is like super super busy. Is that right? So he was going to do it as a tape or something. Yeah, there was this weird. I, I don't even know if that's that was the thing. I think maybe we thought tapes were cool. I don't even know. Like you know, like at that time, like people were doing like cassette singles, and like I remember getting like a, sure. like an Ice Burn cassette single, and Outspoken did like the My Heart Still Beats cassette single, and so maybe we thought that was cool. I don't know, um, but yeah. So we 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 record the seven inch, and I think you know. Hartsfield was young too at that time. He didn't really have his business side together. But there's a bunch of delays with the seven inch coming out. I, I don't know if it was a problem with the plant. I, I don't really know. Maybe Mike didn't have the money, didn't want to tell us. I don't well, really know. Well ninety two is a hot year for new age too. Like he's in yeah, he's so, in the mix. For sure. So maybe he had like a release schedule already and we we're just like into that schedule. So like we're wait we're waiting for our, our record to come out. And we kind of feel like we're in a limbo, like, hey, we we record this. It's not coming out. Uh, we have these other songs. So we decided to record our uh, a seven inch. Um, and, and Dave Mandel, who did Indecision fanzine at the time, we, we met. We started uh, hanging out with him all the time. Like he, he was from the valley. He lived off of uh, off Valley Circle. Um, so he was maybe like a 20 minute or less drive from us. And uh, he was a little bit older. He, he had a car. He would come out to, you know, he had a truck. He would drive to Thousand Oaks. We'd hang out all the time. We'd drive shows together. You know, we knew his mom and his dad and his sister. Like, you know what I mean? Like he just became our family instantly. So like we were big fans of the, of the zine he was doing. He probably did our first interview or something too. Um, and he was like, "Hey, I'll, I'll do your, I'll do your record. Why don't we record these songs?" So uh, we end up recording a, a record with him, which becomes uh, Indecision Records number one. That's the first record he did. And uh, you know, it was crazy. Uh, I don't know who found this studio because I think a few bands recorded there before us, but it was a it was a studio in Simi Valley, and. Uh, Everything that they recorded there just sounded like complete shit. I don't know. I think Mike might have found it. Like, Outspoken recorded A Light in the Dark there, which did not sound good. Uh, Mean Season recorded their 7-inch there, which did not sound good. Unbroken recorded their first 7-inch there, which also did not sound good. And uh, we recorded our 7-inch for Indecision there, which, again, did not sound good. Um, so you think you would learn after the first time if, if the recording was not good, you probably wouldn't go back to this. I place. don't know that that snare tone. It's like how how big of a wind tunnel could you find? So that's pretty yeah. impressive. Well, that 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 was probably Sid's snare. So Sid was like really into like brass snares and uh, 
you know, he he was like a beast too. Like he would hit his drums so so hard. Um so that was probably partially him. <laughs> um but yeah, it, it was just like a crazy time. And we didn't we didn't know what we were doing. Obviously the engineer had no idea what, what we were doing, uh what he was doing, and uh we just made the best of it. So we re recorded a few songs from from the strife demo, uh changed some parts up a little bit and uh added a couple new ones and that became the uh the indecision seven inch right because you said dedication was the first song you wrote and that's on the seven inch yeah that was the yeah that was the first song i wrote with with the band uh the first actual song they wrote was off in the past which rick wrote on guitar and they they had that was the only song they had with the uh the previous guitar player. So how do you feel about these two seven inches? Cause they, uh, like songwriting wise, they're, they're so developed for you guys being so young. Like the songs are pretty epic. I mean, I don't know, to be honest, I, I, I haven't listened to the indecision one in years. Uh, so I couldn't really like make a, a any statement about that. Um, I feel like the New Age one, you know, we, we played the New Age Fest a few years back. And for that, we, we actually played um, a couple songs off the uh, off that 7-inch. Um, and I feel like it's cool. You know, it's definitely, you could see, the, especially on the New Age 7-inch, you could see the direction that we we're starting to carve a path with our sound, right? right. We're starting to get a little heavy. We're faster. We're having these heavier mosh parts, which, you know, bands kind of weren't really doing right then. We're developing our sound, I guess you could say, uh, you know, whether it's like little octave parts that, you know, kind of became like a signature in our sound or or the breakdowns. But also what we were doing that a lot of bands weren't is playing fast. Right. Um, and uh, I don't I don't even know. I mean songwriting wise like we were little kids we we don't know what we we're doing so there's there's probably weird you know parts that go five times instead of four times or like weird thing like parts where vocals should come in or didn't you know what i mean like just uh we're, we're just figuring out how to be in a band and uh how to play together and i think we we're really fortunate that we had a experienced drummer uh, which kind of like was the glue that made the band at least sound halfway decent. Um, yeah, so that was it. But, you know, we're definitely heavily influenced by like Judge. Um, I think Against the Wall, we, we loved that 7-inch at the time. Um, you know, I feel like Begin to Care, the song on that 7-inch is heavily influenced by uh, by Against the Wall. And uh, yeah, that's kind of, that's, kind of what we were doing yeah was it a conscious decision to always make sure you had fast songs since you know 92 that's when a lot of bands are are slowing down i mean even even for the next couple years until there's a whole east coast like youth crew revival um, for sure you know you only have you have what strife and mouthpiece and maybe half mast you know yeah i mean there wasn't there wasn't many and you know for us it was like we we just wanted to play in a band that sounded like our favorite bands, right? 
and our favorite bands were fast and we wanted to be in a band that like jumped around and went crazy and that's what we did i think i think again uh a lot of it has to do with the fact that we had a, a good drummer and, and sid could play really fast uh he was super quick great uh drum fills and drum rolls and so like i think a lot of the reason a lot of the ba- these bands were slow is because they couldn't play fast they yeah. couldn't play fast beats you know what i mean like yeah or they just sounded sloppy when they were fast and they sounded tight when they were slower and mid-tempo for sure for sure so you know i think we use that to our advantage but also again like we're kids that grew up on punk we grew up on crossover and we grew up on faster hardcore bands so yeah i mean absolutely we were always you know we're always going to be on the fast side you know we, we we had we had slow songs and definitely slower heavier parts at times but uh we're always going to stay on the uh, the fast side. So these two seven inches come out in 92. Um, do you see like your draw go up after they come out? Like, is there a, oh. is there a constant build or is there an explosion or what happens? I, I, when the think, two I, come out? I, I wouldn't say an explosion. I think, you know, just we're playing more, we're meeting people, you know, like again, like thousand Oaks, is probably uh, 40 miles from Los Angeles, but there wasn't much going on in Los Angeles. So at that time, the scene was really like Orange County and the Inland Empire, right? So it's like we were driving every weekend. If it wasn't Spanky's, it was later uh, Showcase Theater in Corona. Like on a Friday night, that could be a three-hour drive. Sure. But like, so we're playing, we're meeting bands, and. Uh, we're meeting kids that put on shows. And I think, like, yeah, we we started getting uh, more kids to our shows. Yes, because we had records, but also we were playing more. We had more visibility. And I think, you know, it's funny, like, when we first started, like, n- no one from the OC would, like, pay any attention for us. They didn't care. They're like, who are these fucking kids? They're not from our scene, right? We couldn't get on any shows. So, like, we're really fortunate, like, we had people like, like I mentioned, like, Caton from Hyrax and Igby from Zeds and and uh, Iza from uh, Spankies and Showcase, who really had our backs, really, and, and Hartsfield, and, and really helped us get on shows, and it it really took until our, our record, you know, One Truth came out, and, you know, we were headlining all the shows. Then the OC bands were like, oh, yeah, these guys are cool. I'm cool with these guys, right? But, but you know, I remember trying to get on uh, Instead's last show at Spanky's, and we couldn't get on. Um, and it was, like, basically, like, an all-Orange County lineup. Like, we had played Spanky's a few times, and we'd call these at, trying to get on. And he's like, oh, no, there's a band called Black Spot opening. We're like, I don't know. We don't know who Black Spot is, but... OC kids and obviously it makes sense I'm sure they're friends with instead it makes sense uh but we we're like man that's the show we wanted to play you know like we those were the shows we wanted to play and, and we just couldn't uh we just couldn't break into that but like the real tipping point was uh 1993 we recorded uh what will remain for the uh only the strong comp yeah for the second and, the second only the strong comp the first is the yeah, seven inch and then this and, is this was a is it a ten inch or a twelve inch? 
it's it's yeah, a 12 inch it came okay, out it like pic, picture disc that's and, right that's uh, right it's yeah. got like a war zone song it's got yeah it's yeah. got uh something to prove yeah. it's got a uh, black train jack black. <laughs> it's got Res- yeah, yeah, resurrection yeah yeah it's, it's, it's yeah. a wacky it's kind of a wacky lineup uh yeah, but which cool. i guess it's, worked in it's very of the time and you guys definitely stand out Exactly. That's that's the thing. I think it worked. Oh, it's Snapcase was on there too with the with the first singer with uh, Chris Gallus, and I think at that time it's like you listen to that whole thing and then you hear our song and it's like twice as fast as the fastest song on there, and um, I think it really made an impact. You know that comes out uh, the It's for Life song comes out and again like you know our our song on that was slow but it's super heavy and. Um, people are trading tapes and they're trading videos and it starts getting to the East coast. I think, I think more through videos. Like we played this little, uh, a show at Westlake high school and all of our friends were there. And, you know, actually the back cover of the new age seven inch, that photo was shot there. And the, the video is actually on YouTube, but, um, we play the show and it's just like all our, our friends like going crazy and jumping off stage and somebody filmed it and started getting traded to kids on the East coast um so once we became friends with mouthpiece we we booked uh a little east coast run um and basically it was like on the strength of those two comps plus the seven inch but like you know it it was really those two comps that that got us to the next level so Uh, you do you do the east coast before one truth comes out yeah yeah we well i i think it was like a three three show run maybe four shows okay Uh, we did uh we did Boston, uh, the Cambridge Church in Boston, and it was like Strife, Mouthpiece, Endpoint, Rorschach, a um, few other bands. Then we played this like legendary Middlesex show, which was like every band on New Age at the time, uh, plus others like it was Strife, Lifetime, Mouthpiece, Resurrection, Four Walls Falling, Ashes, Grip, Flagman. It was just like like a epic 90s show and and there was like i don't know felt like 800 people there maybe i'm wrong you know but in my memory it was like this huge huge show uh we play am i the only one and our friend now who we didn't know then scott viscomi you know goes up and sings along and he just gets knocked out cold we stop playing and they kind of like revive him and he wakes up and he just like keep playing keep playing so we, we we start back up into the end end of the song uh, and that was just like the most epic uh show for us at that time you know especially it's our first time on the east coast i'm still in high school um and uh we play syracuse so like again it's like really the strength of those two comps uh i think yeah. really propelled us to the uh to the next level yeah they also probably propels you on to victory correct absolutely um you know victory hit me up i remember getting a phone call at my mom's house i don't know how how tony got my number we we had met him bef- uh before we played with even score um when they were on a west coast tour but he had called me uh to do the comp song and um from the strength of that comp song you know, we had a few labels interested. Um, we actually, I remember getting a letter from, from Metal Blade Records 
and they were interested in signing us at that time. They were from uh, based in Simi Valley at the time. And they sent me a, a letter based on the strength of uh, what will remain on the only only strong comp. Uh, kind of interested in the band. Um, but uh, we were really happy with with Tony. And uh, yeah, he hit us up to Beyond Victory. And we were like, absolutely. Like, um, So that, that was our move. What do you think would have happened if you would have gone on Metal Blade instead of Victory? Um, probably nothing. Our records. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think, I, I don't think we were playing the right music for what a metal blade fan at that time wanted. Right. And, and, and I don't think our fans were ready to buy a red, a metal blade record. Right. right. You know what I mean? So like, no, I know. we got That's... that, we got that letter and it wasn't like, we were like, Oh, we should think about this metal blade la- label. We're like, Oh, this is cool. And I like, filed filed it away in a box you know i mean it wasn't even like something we considered it was like oh cool that's weird um it is just an interesting what if though it is but like i could see like what if in this defiance came out on metal blade sure sure well that's why it's so that's why it's so interesting is because it would it would have been your first big move before you established yourself with an lp on a hardcore label yeah it might have ended the band that's why that that never works out. It, like if you're a hardcore band, like you need to have establish your roots in the hardcore scene, and then you could branch out and it might work. But if you try to just jump to a a bigger label outside of that scene, you know, right off the bat, it, it usually doesn't work. Um, yeah, ninety four is like, kind of a weird year for for metal too. You know, like yeah. A pretty weird time because all the all the best death metal bands are now like on their third LP and kind of getting a little stale. And uh, for straightforward metal, it's a real bad time, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah would have been interesting. But uh, yeah, yeah so, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just saying. I, probably at that time, Metal Blade was like, "Oh, what's what's next?" Right? Like, right? Yeah, these bands aren't putting out good records. Like, what's going to be the next thing? So they're like, maybe we'll give a chance to a hardcore band. I don't know. It's not like they they faxed me an offer or something. You know, what I mean, I got a letter. They were interested, and that no, was I think, it. Yeah, I think we it's were. a good move yeah. on their part, and I think you guys made the good move also. So yeah, hundred uh, yeah, percent. How, how do you approach um, writing an LP? Is it so different than doing a seven inch? And you guys are so young, um, but but somehow you're <sighs> you able know, to like craft this LP. So here, let me just let me line this out for you, because I got a. Uh, questions with the sequencing okay. on one truth is so good do you agree like it, it like opens with you know a, like a it's like a three minute intro but like it's not a bullshit intro it's like this giant sing-along but like through and through is like it's it's an amazing opener right and then like the sequencing of the album is brilliant ending with like a ballad which is like another interesting move um but very go, weird move yeah but do you go in like thinking about like the trajectory of like the journey you want to take the listener on or are you writing these songs as piecework and then once you and then once you have some songs down you're like oh now we should you know write one of these songs or write one of these songs how mapped out was it it, it, it totally wasn't ma- mapped out like we weren't we weren't like overthinking it at all like obviously we couldn't put put slipping, which is the ballad. Like we weren't we weren't gonna put that first. But like through and through was 
like the first new song that we wrote. That that was the song we were playing like before that record came out, and that was probably the first song out of that batch of songs that we wrote. So I think to us that was like, okay, that's gonna be the first song. It was the first song we wrote. You're right. <clears throat> um, I think it that record uh, you hear some new influences uh, creeping in. Um, I remember we went and saw. Um, first of all. Um, heavily influenced by integrity those who fear tomorrow i remember um i went and saw undertow at spanky's and uh ron brotherhood was there uh selling cassettes of the of that integrity record and i bought one and absolutely loved it it was like no other hardcore band i had heard at that time it was just darker and heavier um but still had fast songs and still had heavy parts right so we're really into integrity um we were really into Biohazard. Um, we went and saw Sick of It All, and we followed them around, you know, a few dates on, on their West Coast leg of a tour. Um, I think they played uh, Santa Barbara, and then we saw them at Spanky's and maybe in Hollywood, but they were on tour with Fear Factory and Biohazard. And I remember uh, Biohazard might have been on their, still their first record, uh, but it could have been Urban Discipline. I can't really remember. Uh, probably Urban Discipline. But anyway, like, they came out and they just blew us away. It was like, their stage presence was insane. And they were all singing and all doing backups. And uh, still had a hardcore vibe, but a crossover vibe and just a little bit of hip hop. And so, like, you definitely see that influence creeping in um, with our backing vocals and um songs like face we had uh kind of had like that hip-hop breakdown uh which was you know straight straight from biohazard in my opinion um obviously still influenced by bands like sick of it all and judge but yeah like we weren't really overthinking it uh you know again we were like little little kids uh still um you know we were recording that came out in 94 so probably recorded in 93 uh, that makes me 17 um so uh yeah i remember we recorded that uh, at the same studio it's called dave's underground in hollywood we recorded uh we recorded what will remain there but we might have also recorded am i the only one there the the version from uh from the is for life comp and this he was like a full metal head but he like really knew what he was doing he had a good board uh, he had some good ideas so we went back to him because uh, we were really happy with his recording um and uh you know we would we would go there sid had a vw bus at the time and i remember like we would drive there like i don't know let's say two in the afternoon like we we always had to wait for somebody to get off work we'd drive there too we'd get started we'd work all night I remember, like, during the mixing phase, even, like, we would leave the studio and it'd be the next morning, like, and it was, like, this underground bunker, so we wouldn't even know what time it was, and we'd go out to his van, and it was like, oh, shit, seven in the morning, uh, so it was really crazy, we spent a lot of time, and, you know, at that time, a lot of money compared to what other bands were spending, like, I think we probably spent around $8,000 on that recording, which now it doesn't seem like a lot but you know at that time like 
unbroken recorded like uh, life love regret for five hundred dollars, right? You know what I mean? So like people thought it was a astronomical uh, amount. But it's so it's so big. I mean, it was, it's worth it, right? Like you, <laughs> it's not re- it's not a regrettable move. No, Plus, Westfield no. paid for it, right? Or no, I mean, Victory paid for it. Victory, yeah, Victory paid for it, and no, I mean, we needed a record that. We didn't want our records to sound like what was coming out at the time. Like, you know, we 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 obviously brought in all the the records that were recorded as uh, at Normandy Sound as reference, whether it was uh, Judge bringing it down or Cromag's Best Wishes or Leeway. Like, we we're like, we want it to sound like this, so we did our best to replicate that. And it's got the big reverb on the drums. And it sounds like a real record, and and he was a he was a metal guy. Like he didn't know what hardcore bands were supposed to sound like, but he knew what metal bands were supposed to sound like. So sure. you know he had a bunch of amps to choose from. He had a bunch of ideas. Like we did some crazy stuff. Like I don't even know if you noticed, but like there's like and through and through there's like a gong. Uh, <laughs> like one of the first hits is a gong. He just had it. We're like, dude, we gotta we gotta throw this gong in there. Um, it's and there. it's there, it's and, there. Yeah, and we had like these weird little symbols that you'd hit and spin, and they're there. And we did like little tricks on tape, like it was all recorded analog. Uh, so we would record like symbols and flip the tape over so they're backwards. And you know, any any edit he needed to do, like which was pretty crazy, he would take the tape, uh, grab a razor blade, start cutting the tape right there move it you know take the tape off move it it's like you know what people do in pro tools now he'd do by hand like with a razor blade and a piece of tape and i I remember always like holding our breath uh every time the razor blade came out uh because uh you know wrong cut and you're you're you know potentially ruining that take uh yeah what a lost craft huh yeah totally totally and uh you know, we, we worked really hard and, you know, we probably spent about two weeks on it. And, you know, you mentioned Slipping, which is the ballad. And that was like, obviously a weird move for a hardcore band. And um, it was like one of those things, like I would always like write songs on an acoustic guitar at my friend's house. Right. And it was like one of those things like, oh, I have this idea for, for a song. Um, you know, like one of those songs, like, oh, you can play your mom and your mom was like, oh, he's in like a real band, you know, so kind of influenced by Metallica, um, you know, like the idea of the bass sound, it kind of sounds like an upright bass. Like I got that idea from the intro of uh, Darkness uh, from Integrity. Uh, they kind of used a similar bass sound. Um, and we recorded that song and had no idea what Rick was going to do to it. Like, we had no idea. Um, what We weren't expecting him to sing, but also had no idea what he was going to do. So he, he came in and um, he ended up singing on it. And, you know, I think he did a great job. And, yeah, it's a weird song. And probably if we recorded One Truth now, it wouldn't be on there. But it's also a song that a lot of people uh, over the years really connected to. Um, and I got a lot of people that, you know, when they mention strife, they actually mention that song, um, as like helping them out in a dark time. Um, and a song that they really connected to. So in, in, in that way, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely glad we included it, but it's definitely a curveball, <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, was it ever in the set list? No, no, no. So it never, it's that never been played so- live. Not, not really. No, like you know, we did this weird fest in Madison, Wisconsin, and and I remember, we, like, you know, it's the '90s, so you, you do these weird things. So we organized like a weird like parking lot show, mm-hmm. which, which, which I, I want to say it was like Integrity Us, and maybe it was like Falling Forward, uh, played in the parking lot of the hotel because we were all staying in the hotel. So I think we played it there, uh, but it was like literally in a parking lot of a hotel. Um, and, and um, we we jammed it quite a bit. We we did some anniversary shows of One Truth, and we talked about adding adding it to the set just for fun, kind of see what would happen. But it it always got vetoed by the rest of the band. But well, we, we, we will. It'll uh, have another shot. It'll have another shot in four years when you do the uh, 30th. yeah. There you go. But yeah, we we will always uh, like we could bust it out at practice and and play it like no problem. Yeah, it's an interesting time too, because you know you go in and and do the LP, and you're thinking what's on the LP, but then the CD has like four bonus tracks. Like you're in the studio recording them as well, right? Yeah. So that was, um, you know, it was this weird time where everyone thought CDs were cool, and I know sure. like we had the Gorilla Biscuit CD, and it had 99 tracks, right? So it had yeah. all these extras. And we're like, oh, what are we going to do for the, the CD? We got to do these extras because Gorilla Biscuits did the extras, right? So, like, we're like, let's re record um, these new versions of uh, of the songs. Like, so we did, like, um, re- we recorded a few songs from the from the other seven inch. Uh, we did a, we totally reworked Question Mark. Uh, we did, like, an epic version of Calm the Fire with all these, like, crazy samples mm-hmm. um i think we redid inner struggle and added some backup so you know we I, I think we really wanted to give those songs just like a new life a little more justice from the other recordings but also like we thought bonus tracks were cool because because <laughs> the other bands did them i guess you know what i mean like yeah i mean there was a lot of bands like that was a move you know yeah that's sure. why i was, and I, I was I, go ahead i think also you got to remember, CDs were expensive back then. So sure. you really wanted people to feel like they got their money worth. Like, oh, if I'm going to spend this CD, which could be like 18 or $20, like I feel like, you know what I mean? Like we got to make it worth their while and, and we got to give them something extra um, because they're because they're paying extra. So that was kind of the, uh, the thought at that time too. Yeah, sure. I always thought that... Uh... Live After Death by Iron Maiden was really cool because it was like the one thing where the the LP has the bonus tracks. Yeah, yeah, but but also you know with LPs too, it's like you can typically fit less music. Like, like exactly that's why can, it was so interesting that, that yeah. Maiden records like that. that there's extra songs on the the vinyl and not on yeah. the CD. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, it's a double LP, so what are you gonna do? Um, yeah. So do you see room. you see the popularity explode? After One Truth. Now you're a headlining band? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, absolutely. And, and and I think really what set us apart from a lot of bands at that time is like, especially like our contemporaries from the West Coast, is like, we really toured. Like, we would get in a van and we would 
tour, you know, summer and winter and spring. And we were putting in the work that a lot of our contemporaries weren't. Um, so that was also setting us apart. Like, like, you know, like outspoken did a East coast, you know, maybe two East coast weekends on their whole career. Right. Or chorus went to the East coast maybe once. Um, I want to say mean season probably went to the East coast once, but we are, we, we are doing the East coast, like, you know, three times a year, you know, we, we are very active and we were out there touring harder than, uh, than a lot of bands. And, and you're think, doing a, dri- uh, you're doing a drive out, not a fly out. Oh yeah. Nobody flew out. No. Yeah. Yeah. We drive like we would drive. Like I remember one tour, um, we, we had this tour booked. We didn't have a van. <clears throat> we bought a van from a place called Rent-A-Wreck in Thousand Oaks. Uh, sounds terrible for like a thousand dollars. Took it to my friend's house to fix it up for the tour. Uh, you know, we put in like some wood on the bottom and put some curtains in. And then like two days later drove from, from Thousand Oaks straight to DC. Um, we ended up missing our first show was in Philly. We ended up missing that, but we we drove like two days straight to our first show in uh, in uh, ended up being in DC because we missed the Philly show. But yeah, we would just get in the van and drive in shifts and and never stop. In in these earlier tours, did you ever play on your way out, or would it always just be haul ass to the East Coast? I feel like for some weird reason that like that was our move <laughs> like yeah yeah like start on the east coast and work our way back but yeah. i but i also feel like the shows were just better like like west coast obviously had great shows sure east coast had way more because there's so many states that are close you know you can get to connecticut you know you know hour from new york you know you could do like new jersey new york philly dc connecticut rhode island boston you know, you could do all those, and they're all short drives from each other. So we we would just sure, like, yeah, but, we're gonna do this. But but are you doing Minneapolis and Chicago on the way out, or Texas on the way back, or anything like that? Just go and come. Yeah, out. yeah. So we 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 would hit some of those spots on the way back. Like, okay. Um, yeah. So you haul ass one way and know, then try to make it make it work on the way back. Exactly. And, then, and so. Go ahead. Um, sorry. Definitely places like Chicago because especially victory was there uh we played chicago quite a few times um obviously florida uh texas but there would also be times like end of the tour it's like somebody's sick and we're like oh it looks like we're gonna cancel um north dakota on the way home like we're too sick we're not gonna make it you know sure um that that would happen sometimes too yeah so you're playing huge shows like west coast east coast do any like middle of the country shows stand out to you like is did you play anywhere weird where it like bombed did we play anywhere weird where it bombed? Yeah. yeah 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 i mean 100 percent. i mean i remember being on uh on tour with uh earth crisis and we played like a show in the carolinas somewhere okay and literally the only people at the show were our two bands yeah like <clears throat> i remember we had like a little skateboard and we're like when the other bands are playing, like people are doing like fake skate tricks, like the other bands are doing fake skateboard tricks off the stage or, you know what I mean? Like literally nobody came. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like everybody has those weird shows. You know, it could have been a Monday night or a promoter oh, of that course. just didn't, didn't want to promote the show. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that that definitely happened. But as a, as a whole, like, we were pretty fortunate. Like, you know, we could go from, you know, Florida to the Carolinas, Atlanta, and then all up at the East Coast and pretty much be guaranteed uh, good shows almost everywhere. So One Truth comes out in 1994, and it's pretty crazy that you hit the next year with the Grey 7-inch because these are two of the best Strife songs. And they come like right after the LP, which is like your breakout LP. Um, are these just ideas you had, and you're like, "Fuck, we got two banger songs. Let's get in the studio right away." I, I think at that point we we were trying to write uh, a new LP, and everything's moving fast for us. And I feel like we're like, "Oh, it's been so long." Like one truth comes out, but we had already had it recorded. And so in our head, we're like, man, it's been so long since we released any music. Like, we got to release something. Like, that's all it was. It's like, we, we need to release something. We've been, we've been playing these songs and, you know, we, we just need to record, record something new. Um, because it's going to be too long between the two LPs. So, yeah, we got in the studio. And again, it wasn't like those were just the two songs that we had, uh, we had written at that time. So we're like, we got these two songs. Uh, I, you know, they're probably going to be on the LP, but we don't know when the LP is going to be recorded. Let's get in the studio and um, and record them. Yeah, and then the next thing you do is '96. Uh, you do the California Takeover LP, and that's kind of a, a seminal hardcore release uh, that you just you just did a celebration of of what year anniversary? That would have been the you like that, the 25th year anniversary or something? Something. It wasn't really based upon like a year, to be honest with you. It wasn't a year. Uh, no, nah, it, it was it, like, it was like, okay, we've been talking about it for so long. And finally, everyone was it. like, let's do this. And everyone was on the same page. And when I say everyone, it's like, there's three bands with, you know, it's 15 people you got to coordinate with. It's very difficult. But yeah, so finally we've been, you had been kind of talking it over for a few years, but nobody that serious. And I remember, um, I remember being in Europe and Scott uh, from Earth Crisis hit me up like on Instagram and he was like, "Yo, we, I've been talking on Snapcase. Like, are you guys down? Let's make this happen." And I said, "Yeah, let's do it. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll convince my guys. Let's, you know, we got to make sure everyone's on the same page. And if it happens, so it's like we." All the bands, we, we split everything even. We totally worked together, like, on picking the venues. Uh, we worked together. We worked together on everything, from picking the venues to picking the opening bands to, like, rolling out the uh, announcement. And it was just, you know, it was the three of us. And it was like, you know, every band kind of had their spokesperson, but, like, other people would chime in. And it was really fun. Like, some of our best tours and memories from being in a band were playing and touring with Snapcase and Earth Crisis, right? So, like, being able to do that again was awesome. Um, and I think... Yeah, so how does the first one come together? The first one was just, like, a weird idea that we had. And it was, like, um, you know, we we had done so many East Coast tours with those bands that I think we were kind of, like, wanted to return the favor and, like, yo, let's bring this to um, to California, 
so we booked it um and you know we had the idea of recording the show um we didn't really have the logistics planned out it wasn't like oh we're gonna do the show to do a live record we like booked the show and it you know we did a show at the whiskey and we did a show at the showcase theater and um you were like yo it'd be cool if we did a live record so we we talked to victory like hey we're thinking about doing this they were behind it um the engineer who uh, recorded one truth and in in this finance brought his board to the whiskey and we recorded it live and you know we we had no idea like the impact that it felt but you know like for me like we love the agnostic front live at cb's record right like that's one of my favorite agnostic front recordings so like for us we were like yo like if we could do something close to that it'll be pretty amazing and i don't think too many other hardcore bands were really doing live records at the time so um we thought it was just something something cool um something different and you know i I think we knew we had the ability to to make it sound really good and right and at that time it kind of made it seem like you guys were like the big three like the big three hardcore bands on victory i mean you still had integrity but uh you know they're not it clevo's weird right they're not fully fully active all the time no no uh, touring and so it's kind of interesting because at the time people would talk about like a victory sound you know it might be like the same way that bands might have been upset that they get like lumped in with like oh they have the fat record sound or the yeah sound or something yeah it's kind of interesting that that strife gets pulled into that when you know part of the impetus of the band was like let's keep hardcore fast well like do you feel like you get lumped in with like the victory sound and you don't get enough credit for actually keeping fast hardcore going in like a weird bridge period you know i i think the cool thing was like you had a band like strife who didn't sound anything like earth crisis who didn't sound anything like snapcase right like that's why it worked like it we're all from the hardcore scene we all loved hardcore but we're all pulling from from different influences right and uh we're all doing our take on you know it was 90s hardcore it was the 90s right so we were all doing our take on hardcore at that time and i think what was cool is that none of us sounded alike but but you know but integrity didn't sound like either of us either and neither did cast iron hike or neither did Warzone at the time right so i think that was what was cool it was like it wasn't like a label putting out a bunch of bands that all sounded the same it was like bands because the label put out bands from different parts of the country who had their influences and sounds. And I think, you know, maybe towards the later side of the 90s, then the Victory Sound was like more metallic, hardcore. Um, and I get it. Like, you know, In This Defiance is definitely like a heavier record uh, with intention, right? But um, I don't think that record sounds like all-out war or you know or some of the other metallic hardcore bands uh coming out of victory at the time you know i I still think bands had their influences and i think we had a little more in common influence wise with bands like in the youth crew revival like bands like 10 yard fight and uh floor punch and in my eyes who who came 
you know, a few years after we did and were influenced, you know, by a lot of the same bands that we were. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of. Yeah. Did you enjoy the donut LP? Uh, I did not. Uh, <laughs> okay. But I didn't hate it. It just like, but I did love like the, the refuse, the songs to fan, to fan the flames was amazing. Uh, Abananda, uh, we toured, uh, Scandinavia with Abananda in, uh, in 95. And man, I, I love that senseless record is, is awesome. It's like, you know, like perfect marriage between like what we are doing. And then a band like 108 has some metallic riffs, but still hardcore, uh, you know, like Sweden had some great, uh, bands. Fireside was amazing. Um, bunch of great bands at that at, at that time um you know donuts were cool for what they were you know like we definitely like you know we we went and saw them and supported them but like if I, I won't go back and listen to that record um but i will say some of the slept on records from that period are those warzone records like you know it's funny there's a lot of people that say they're warzone fans and, and they've never heard the records on victory and i think those are I think Sound of Revolution's a great record. Uh, you know, those are really great records. I think live at that time, they were they were really great. And, you know, we got to play a lot of shows with them. And, uh, you know, Rabies used to come and he would they would stay at my house in Thousand Oaks and hang out with us in the mall. And, you know, it was it was it was really cool. Like. Uh, it was really cool. And I, I think those are like some of the most underrated records uh from victory well, at that i time. think that they're they're split with cause for alarm that's their oh, side of that is the site that's the second best warzone record yeah i mean i like, literally those four songs are insane including skinhead warrior girl yeah yeah no they, they they were great and i don't know if you caught them live at that time but they were they were great they were great they had a, they had a great lineup and you know ray was had awesome energy and um, no, I missed them because I was right when I got into hardcore. It would have been the last time they came out, so '96 ish. Uh-huh. And uh, the Santa Barbara show got canceled. That's when I could have gone. Oh, okay. And, uh, that was. I think they were touring with the business. Is that right? Yeah. Barbara? Yep. 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 They toured with the business. I saw them at the showcase with the business. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So I couldn't get a ride to the showcase before I drove. Yeah. So, so. later on in the 2000s, uh, we did a tour with the business actually, and we had a show at the Ventura Theater that got canceled because there was threats of you know nazi skinhead violence so that could have been the reason why that santa barbara show got canceled as well i don't know yeah definitely that uh, probably yeah most likely yeah for sure so let's go in let's go into attacking your second lp this is uh it's a seminal point for any band especially hardcore bands like there aren't that many hardcore bands that put out two great lps um and so obviously one truth was well received by almost everyone or most people that know that know hardcore music um what sort of pressure do you feel going in to do in this defiance um, and how do you approach it okay well addressing a point like i think one truth was well received but there was a ton of haters there was a ton of backlash you got to think like we this record came out at a time when like the ebullition bands were getting very popular. The PC punk bands were getting very popular. And so like, 
you know, a lot of people would make fun of that record and that, oh, we did a gatefold LP, like, that's not cool. And it, they did a glossy record cover, that's not cool. And straight edge isn't cool and playing fast isn't cool. And, you know, you can't be straight edge and not vegan. You can't be straight edge and not political, you know. So we did get a lot of backlash. And, you know, whether it was other bands writing songs about us or, or digs in fanzines, whatever. Like, I wouldn't say that it was, like, well-received by everyone. I think, um, you know, we, again, we, we toured hard and we, uh, we made friends everywhere we went. And, and that was, like, to be honest, like, that diffused so many situations because we always had friends, like, in every scene and every band and people would, would vouch for us. So, um, if going, you can draw like five hundred, if you can draw five hundred kids in like your semi-local area, then like the hate doesn't matter, <laughs> you know? Like you've done yeah, well. that that too, that too. Um, you know, a lot of hate stems from jealousy. I like, I I get it, I get it. Um, and we were shit talkers, like you know, we're, we we were we were you know little kids and we could we could talk shit too so if we didn't like you and you were talking shit to us like trust trust me we would terrorize you like like that was just our that was our thing um so um yeah so going in um to write that second record you know i think we knew we needed to top the first one and we wanted to get a little harder and bring in some outside influences. Um, you know, we had just come back. We did the the Roots tour with Sepultura in Europe. Uh, we actually played the the last show at uh, with Sepultura with Max and Igor at the Brixton Academy. Uh, and I think coming off a tour with them uh, and seeing just how tight they were and how heavy they were. Uh, that was a huge influence on our on our songwriting i think like you know will to, will to die like a song like that was like heavily influenced by sepultura um you know whether it was i wouldn't say like a particular song but just from being on the road like we we knew like we had to get heavier and we, we did so well on that tour too where like we could really cross over in a cool way like um and and also so we're into bands like Sepultura and Fear Factory and we're really into bands Deftone. So we're kind of like opening our mind a bit more uh to active bands at that time that weren't just hardcore bands. Uh, general heavy to general heavy music. Just general heavy music. Yes. Um and so I think we we really wanted to uh just take some of these influences and incorporate them into our sound, not change our sound to fit into that world, but just take a broadened approach. Um, I think we really figured out how to write a song. Uh, Rick's voice was stronger than ever. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that was it. We, we were fired up from doing that tour when we, I, I remember we started writing songs and, and then we, uh, we got back in the same studio um, with the engineer Dave uh, Jagos, um, who uh, recorded One Truth, and that was it. Is like we knew we had to do 
a record that topped the first one. That that was our goal. Had to sound better, had to look better, had to be heavier. And, and you know, at the time, it's like bands were getting heavier. And I, I, I don't think we would have had a impact if we stayed exactly the same. Um, we had to we had to get heavier because, you know, Earth Crisis, you know, they, they did Destroy the Machines, they did Gamora Seasons, like, we had to be that heavy, but we could be that heavy, and we could still be fast. Um, sure. Yeah. So that was... That and was, then, what, what was the idea for, like, the, the spooky-type sound stuff? <laughs> so, the, the reality of that was, we recorded the record... And it was the mate, I don't know, maybe it's like 26 minutes of music, right? And we just signed a, a publishing deal. And the publishing deal was like, you need 12 songs. We didn't, we didn't read the fine print. You need 12 songs and it has to be 45 minutes of music, right? So we're like, okay, well, we just recorded 28 minutes of, of brutal music. It's 10 songs. Oh, shit. What are we going to do? We can't have this count as an EP, uh, right? So we're like, okay, well, we can do an intro. We got to name it intro. It's got to be a separate song. So we do, you know, we do a two-minute intro or whatever. And then we go, oh, but we could do this outro. And that could take up the, the 15 minutes, right? <laughs> so we're like, okay, well, here, here's your 45 minutes of music. So it doesn't say it could be an intro or an outro. So we... So we worked with, um, we had this really cool um, engineer uh, who ended up mixing the record. Uh, we started mixing it with uh, the engineer who produced it. We weren't happy with the mix. So we're like, what do we do? We've got to find someone else to mix it. We find this guy, uh, his name's Bob Marlette. And he's awesome. Like he worked with Tony Iommi. He recorded like some Black Sabbath records. Uh, he ended up recording a lot of like, the new metal stuff, like maybe like Seether and bands, like 90s new metal stuff later later on. Uh, but he was just this awesome dude. He would smoke a big cigar and he would just like blast the music loud and, you know, like really get into the music. And, uh, you know, he's really responsible for the record sounding the way it, it did. And um, so we tell him our dilemma and he's like okay cool let's let's do this and he just starts making these i don't even i don't even know what he used i can't i can't really remember that but he starts making this intro and he gives rick all these weird microphones and he's got like three different microphones and rick's making weird noises and he's making weird noises and you know the idea was kind of to tie the record into one big piece of music so it's got an intro it's got a few interludes and then the outro uh, but really, it was just there because we needed forty-five minutes of music. <laughs> yeah, and do do you feel like it uh, that detracted from the record, or do you feel like it it brought it together more and it's more cohesive? Uh, I I think it was cool at the time. I mean, if, if I play the record now, I'm sure most people just skip over those tracks. Um, I think it would be really annoying if you couldn't skip uh, the tracks. But I think it was kind of. Uh, kind of a cool way to tie the uh tie the record um all the songs together yeah um so there's a break of five years before you do uh, another record but in the meantime you did uh turn down 
Yeah. Which, uh, cool band. Why do you think it never gained traction? Okay, so actually, so it's weird. So I started, again, back to the whole story. So I started turned down in high school uh, with some of my high school friends. Um, and the singer of that band is actually the, the part of the skate crew uh, that I had in junior high. And he's the one that wanted to start the band, that I bought the guitar, but I was supposed to play the bass. He's actually the singer, turned down. So we're still friends. Okay. He's the singer. Um, so my closest friends are in the band, and, and we're all into Descendants and all, and we want to start a band that's like Descendants, Dag Nasty, Lifetime, Big Drill Car. Like That's kind of our, our influences. So we, we, we record the demo. I don't even remember what year. Um, Later on, we record a, a seven inch for sessions. Um, we get Roy from Downset, who's a good friend of mine. He ends up playing bass. Um, I moved to guitar. Uh, we record a seven inch for sessions. We record an LP for sessions. And this whole time we're playing shows, like we're playing with Pulley, we're playing with uh, uh, Jester Brazil, we're playing with FYP, you know, we're playing a lot of shows. Um, yeah, you're in the mix with all those punk bands. Yeah, with all those punk bands, uh, for sure. But it's, it's kind of a it's kind of a weird time for them too. Well, like, yes. You know, Holy so, in in 2000 is kind of like they've done their they're on like their third or fourth LP, right? Yeah. So it's it's like a weird time where like the older the older bands are kind of like fading out, and then you don't really have the bands like. Uh, newfound glory or like you know bands that would have probably been our contemporaries if we kept it together right like the alkaline trios yeah like the, those. those bands haven't started yet um i don't think maybe i'm wrong i don't i don't i'm i don't have that timeline down but like you know those weren't bands that were on our radar like we were into descendants all li- lifetime big drill car you know like like it's we- just a little bit of an adjacent scene i think like it's it's not as like rooted in like the punk stuff. Yeah, but you know, it's like it kind of it, sonically it like is right there. But I don't I don't know. I guess I can't speak on it because I don't really know it or understand it. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, like we played shows at like in the '90s, like with Macondo uh, at the Macondo with like Los Crudos. Like we'd play shows with uh, Avail. Like you know, like we 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 would play a lot of shows, and you know, obviously I had a lot of uh, connections. Um, so we were able to get booked and like we had a lot of people like uh, Eddie Numskull would would put us on shows a lot. Um, yeah, you did a split with that band Homemade and they're another band that I thought was really good that like should have yeah. been able to do more. So they were a band that was um, basically from the same town as us. Um, yeah, we did a split with them. Um, we did a split that came out in Brazil with a band called Street Bulldogs. That was like a melodic uh, hardcore band. And then, um, so we start doing these shows and we end up kind of like beefing with our singer, you know, he's, he ends up, I don't know, it, it just wasn't working. So we end up kicking him out and we end up getting Joe from Fury 66 in the band. And once Joe gets in the band, like we really, you know, we really elevate our sound. We did our last EP on sessions, but we're doing like warp Tour shows. We're playing with like At The Drive-In. Um, we're, we're really doing a lot and, and the band's kind of like not getting big, but like taking off a bit more. Um, yeah. 
I know he, he, uh, I remember, um, at one point, um, him telling me like, Hey, these guys hit me up to do a split. Um, it's the guys from 88 fingers, Louie, they have this new band and they, you know, we're going to do a split seven inch. That would have been rise against. Um, sure. Yeah. So that was like, you know, just a weird thing. But I think at that time, um, Joe was flying in and driving down from Santa Cruz to do all our shows. He just got married. I think he just got like a little burnt out on it. Um, so he ended up quitting and and then that basically just stopped doing the band. Like we knew we, we weren't going to find another singer. Um, yeah, but it's cool. You, you're, you're staying really active in like this time where Strife's, you, you kind of are on a, a five-year-ish break. Yeah, and I'm still, yeah, we're still playing shows and and um, still making music and um, yeah. yeah it is cool. a weird, it's a weird time for Strife though because Rick breaks Edge, right? Yeah, so I, so we break up, we break Strife breaks up like '97 or '98. Um, Rick ends up quitting, and then. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know how how long. You know, probably like a year or so. He he stops being straight edge. Um, ninety nine. Me and Sid. Um, maybe it's ninety nine. Could have been two thousand. Me and Sid decide we still want to start playing. We want to start playing together. So we start a band called Anger Means. And Anger Means are originally like when we got signed to Victory. Anger Means was just me and Sid. I was gonna sing. I was going to write all the music and Sid was going to play drums. So we start, um, we start writing songs. Uh, we, we write, um, life stained red and spill no blood. They didn't have the song titles. And I remember Derek is now singing for Sepultura and Derek gave me like some, some tapes from his vocal coach to like do some warm ups at home. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do these sing, you know, I'm going to sing. And so I remember we, we go to record that demo and literally like, I had no idea how to sing. And I, I remember going to the studio and like trying to sing. I had lyrics written and like I blew my voice out instantly. And, and I knew right then I was like, this is not going to work. Um, it's hard. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. And there's a technique and I, I didn't have the technique down. I wasn't ready for it. Um, so like, you know, I think it was probably like, could have been like a, a year that, we didn't even talk to Rick. Like everyone was like so mad about the band breaking up that like it even took, it took all of us some time to become friends again. So somehow we, uh, we tell Rick, we go, Hey, we got this new band, um, anger means, and we hang out with him and he ends up singing on the, on the demo. We do a two, a two song demo. Um, and it's awesome. And, and, and the idea is to like, not have you know i think at, at that time we all felt limited by like being a hardcore band and you can only do this and you can't change your sound and you can't listen to band, bands that aren't hardcore and we're like yo we're just gonna do this band we're gonna take all our influences and we're just gonna make a record that that we're into and again it's like we're listening to again sepultura and and deftones and a bunch of other bands like whatever you know and we're like you know we want to write we, we want to write a record that 
that we're into without having the constraints of being strife or being a hardcore band. So we start playing as anger means. Um, we write a bunch of songs. We're playing shows. And of course, you have a band with three members of Strife playing. Of course, everyone just wants, you know, they like the new songs, but they want to hear Strife songs. So we didn't sure. we didn't have a full set. So we add a couple of Strife songs to the set. Um, and we're, you know, we played a good handful of, of shows. And then I remember... Um, our, one of our best friends, he was a roadie. He's actually on the front cover of In This Defiance. He gets um, hit by a drunk driver and killed. He was my roommate at the time. And so we're like, yo, we got to do something for Jesse. Like, we got to do a benefit show. And we're like, we're like, we got to do it as Strife. Like, not not only was he our roadie and our friend, but it's like, it's going to, this was, was what was going to mean. You know, that's what he would have wanted. And that's what all our friends wanted. And we, you know, like he, he was like, I met Sid because I was going over to his house to skate, like when I was like in eighth grade. Right. So it's like he's a big part of the band. Uh, he went to Europe with us and he went on many tours with us. And uh, we're like, yeah, we have to do this for Jesse. So we decided we're going to do um, do the benefit shows as Strife. And that's kind of how Anger Means transitioned into strife uh and when we went to record the record um that's why the record's called Ang anger means you know yeah wasn't the uh that life stained red song that came out though it did under anger means on some comp right it did i i, I don't it, it was this lady i can't remember what comp it was a lady that worked at rev and she had like a zine or something i i don't remember the name the name of oh it was that, was it, it, yeah, it was that weird, like, uh, it was like an interactive CD. Yeah. Like it was going to uh -huh. be like a CD-ROM thing. Exactly. I, I, want, I totally remember I want to say she was, like, dating uh, one of the guys from Tempo Pole, actually. I, I can't I can't remember her name. I thought she was dating, God, I, oh, this is. Who, this stuff who knows? Yeah, who, yeah. It doesn't I, matter. I thought she was dating, I thought she was dating Larry Ransom. She may have at one if, point. If I remember. She may have at one point, too, okay. but I feel like when I met her. It was like through ten foot pole. Like she wasn't like a, into okay. hardcore really, and but like we would play with bands like Voodoo Glow Skulls and Ten Foot Pole and Dancehall Crashers. We play with all sorts of bands, um, and I feel like that's how I met her originally. Okay, I just remember when that song came out. That song was so fucking sick. And then also on one of those comps, I think there was like a Saves the Day song that like the early version was like so good. I gotta track it down now. It's probably it's probably a dollar on Discogs. Yeah. So. To be honest, I probably I probably have it in my CD collection if I if I look hard enough. <laughs> yeah, it will have been the first CD I bought in 15 years. Yeah. I can't I can't remember the last time I bought a CD. I still buy vinyl. There you go. I still buy vinyl, but what are you gonna do? Um. So the the anger means LP. How do you approach it in the studio? Because the the production is definitely different. Okay, so it's a really weird thing. Um, so we started. Roy from Downset worked at a really big studio at the time called Conway. Uh, Conway, like Marilyn Manson, like Foo Fighters recorded there. Marilyn Manson, it's a huge studio off of Melrose. It's awesome, amazing studio. Um, we end up working with two engineers there um, that worked at Conway. You know, they worked on like Green Day Dookie and they worked on Blinkway too, like should have known what they were doing, but like the recording's a mess. We have these songs, the songs are good, 
we go in and everything is like a like a a bootleg session like we go into conway but we can only record for like we have an eight hour session at conway right and then we uh then we got to move to this other studio and then we're going to this other. so so we ended up uh oh no i'm sorry i lied this is this is confusing we start the track we start tracking at this place called the steakhouse and the steakhouse i want to say it's owned by uh steve lukather from toto it's in the valley it's close to my house it was a private studio they just made it public we're the first band to go in since they converted it we show up the first day there's an issue with the board they have a great knee but the click tracks are bleeding into the the, the board uh, we have this guy who's, you know, Pro Tools is kind of brand new. We have this guy with a giant Pro Tools rig, and he gets frustrated, and he quits the first day and leaves. Um, so it's kind of like a nightmare. We're at, we're at a good studio, but the gear's a little messed up. We do all the basic tracks there, and then we start tracking vocals on all these different studios. So we go to Conway for, for one. The, one of the guys is like an engineer for Dave Matthews' band, so we're at like... The pr producer of Dave Matthews bands, like private studio doing vocals, but like it's never a set a set recording schedule and everything's scattered. And these guys are like doing drugs and like it was just a mess. So it comes down to mixing and like they just they, they the 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 mix, the mix is all screwed up. Uh, the, they lost guitar solos. There's stuff bleeding in from everywhere and i remember hearing the mix and we we're like yo this we can't put this out we we got to remix it and i and and i know we approached victory and we're like yeah we, we're, we're gonna have to remix it and they they wouldn't push the record back they're like no it's like we got these deadlines and we we can't it's got to come out now so we're kind of stuck with um with that final project um which you know on paper should have been good but was not good sound wise and that's how you feel about it still you know it's it, it's weird um there's songs on there that sound good and there's songs that i like the songs but i don't like the recordings you know i like right right like that life stain red song like that yeah that should have been a classic strife song yes yes for sure i i, I think there's some good songs on there uh but the recording really <clears throat> really suffers um so it's definitely like a record I like. I can't listen to it. It just, you know, it yeah. kind of makes me mad. But and it, you know, at the time it came out, everyone thought it was so weird and such a left turn. But like, really, like if you listen to bands like that came a little after, like, like even like No Warning or like Alpha Omega, like there's a lot of similar riffs on these bands' records. Like we weren't we didn't put out like a new metal record at all. It was just like a little, you know, we had fast songs, but overall it was like a little bit of a slower, slower record. Um, but also like, like um, the first song on the record, Rise Again, like we would play that on tour, like on the In This Defiance tour. Like it, that's a song that we had way back then too. So um, yeah, I, I think the record just really suffered uh, due to the recording. Yeah, it's another. It's ten years then until you do another record. So, we can. What what happens during these ten years? You know, we tour on uh, Anger Means. Um, and it's kind of a weird lineup. 
we had a different drummer. Um, we had Franklin from Shelter on guitar. Um, we toured Europe and we did uh, a U.S. tour with uh, with the business and Rise Against. Um, and then we kind of just put the band on pause. I think everyone just kind of decides to go on with a regular life. Like <clears throat> every now and then we played some shows, but like we definitely weren't a band, um, like an active band. Um, and then, you know, it's like when you're a band and you don't uh, play for a long time, people start asking you. So we started getting offers to do shows. And once you do one, you do more. And so we, you know, I think we did like Sound and Fury and we did like a, a, a Canadian run and we did a fest in, in France. And we're like, you know, um, we went to South America. And I think at that time we we're like, you know, like if we're going to keep doing this, we should write a new record. Like I, I want a record that represents the band now. Uh, you know, we're not 16 year old kids anymore. Like I want a record that can represent how we feel now and kind of like uh, just uh, just kind of solidify our, 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 our place in hardcore. Right. Like no one in the band was happy with anger means really and i think we were like you know we we need to show the world and ourselves that you know we can make a good record and uh we felt like we owed it to the the scene like if we were going to keep playing and keep doing shows like we we owed it to them so that that was the uh that was the inspiration you felt pressure to like not be a nostalgia act yes yes Exactly, you know, and it, it, I think especially like, you know, with with people in the in the band no longer being straight edge, I you know I think we wanted uh, songs that reflected us as a band, like who we who we are now or at that time, right? Um, and that's what we did. You know, I was really inspired, like going to South America and doing these shows and and seeing kids how uh excited they were to see the band for the first time ever and how appreciative they were and uh, you know i started writing riffs like during soundcheck like in, in south america you know i was like man like it just ignited a, a new fire for it. I, I think everyone and um it's kind of like you know witness a rebirth the title kind of comes comes from that whole thing like you know that whole experience yeah yeah and how much pressure do you feel writing songs or do you feel like it all just came naturally i mean it, it, it came naturally uh i was really active uh going to hardcore shows i knew what hardcore kids were into and 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 in my head i'm like i just need to write a record that would be the natural progression from in this defiance like if we wrote the next record what would it sound like you know we want it to be a strife record we want it to be a hardcore record and um i think we delivered you know like it's a lot of people's favorite strife record you know like some of those songs get the best reaction live like carry the torch is gets one of the best reactions live in our in our set always so um i think it I think uh came at a good time and and you know we, like we had 
Nick Jett from Terror uh, produce it, so I, I had faith in him. He wasn't going to let us go astray either, you know? Um, yeah. And and that was the thing. is like, I want somebody working on it that knows what hardcore sounds like, that knows what it should, you know, hardcore arrangements and mixing. Like, I didn't want another experience like Anger Means where it was like, guys that worked on Pink Floyd records and worked on Green Day records that, you know, had their idea of what hardcore should sound like, but, you know, maybe they thought hardcore was the same as, like, Metallica, St. Anger. Like, that's what hardcore... I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, like I, I, I wanted something that would make it sound like a hardcore record. That was, you know, and that was our goal. Yeah, and and... And a total success, correct? I I I, like, I think so. I think so. I, yeah, I mean, if you did what you set out to do, and and people resonate with it, and they think it's one of the best records, and some of those songs are the hits, yeah, it sounds like it's a perfect success. Yeah, I'm definitely um, definitely happy with that. Yeah, and then the last thing that Strife does, uh, as of now, is you do a one sided twelve inch, which is you'd you'd released like a couple cover songs, I think, like in the meantime, and then you kind of pull it all together here with a couple new songs yeah so so the the incision yeah so i i start my own label um i uh i had done so much work uh promoting witness rebirth that i that i kind of decide like i don't know why i'm letting this other label put it out when i'm doing like i paid for the recording i i put the whole thing together i'm doing the marketing i have my people doing the videos it's like i don't know why i even had a label uh, do that. So I'm like, I'm going to do a label. This is going to be a first, first release. Um, these were songs that were kind of like leftovers from the, from the, uh, witness rebirth recording. Um, we did a black flag, uh, black flag cover of a police story that came out, um, kind of to promote witness or rebirth came out. The hundreds put it out as a seven inch and we did a t-shirt with them. Um, I think it was like a, Black Flag cover and Carry the Torch on a 7-inch. But it's very limited and hard to find because the hundreds did it. Um, so it's that and a, and a few other songs. Um, you know, Incision is like a full tribute to Clevo Hardcore. We've got uh, Human Furnace singing vocals on it. And we've got uh, Aaron Melnick playing crazy um, system overload style leads on it and just really cool um but there were songs that we liked but felt like uh might not have fit the overall vibe of the record so these were kind of like the darker kind of a little more metallic vibe uh songs from, from that session and that yeah i gotta shout out to uh the melnicks because i just discovered this band recently that they did that i never knew existed Shin, Shindashin, Shindashin. yeah Shindashin, it's cool yeah, I got that record. Fuck, I, I found out about it last week. Oh, really? I was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, 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 yeah. They're so good. Yeah, they're cool. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so I was touring with a uh, Cavalier Conspiracy for a while, and last time I was out in Cleveland, like they they came to the show. I hung out with with uh, with Melnick and uh, with Aaron, not Lenny, but uh, yeah, it was really cool to see those guys. But like, I just randomly like I, I knew them. Like we played with Integrity. I was friends with them in the '90s, but I hadn't talked to the Melnicks in years and somehow someone had their email or something. I was like, yo, I want them to do this lead. It would be so sick. We already got human furnace on the song. Like let's just go all full Clevo on it. Right. Um, 
So I was like, I got to find his number. I, I, I think uh, Clint from uh, Organized Crime Records gave me his email. And I hit him up. I was like, oh, we did this song. You want, you want to do a lead? So he actually did a few versions. Um, and uh, there's a version where he does just like a crazy lead through the entire song, from the beginning of the song to the end. Um, so I might have to release that as a as a remix at at, <laughs> at some point. Um, but yeah, it, so it was super super cool, and you know, I was obviously a huge fan of Integrity and super good friends with those guys uh, over the years. So it was it was really cool to uh, to make that happen. Do you think that that's where where you will leave Strife, or do you do you think you'll do another recording at some point? Well. I'm going to give you the exclusive, exclusive. Um, we're actually uh, working on a record right now. Um, we recorded 12 songs with Nick Jett. Um, all the music's done, and uh, we started tracking vocals um, up until the coronavirus uh, happened. So we've kind of been put on pause, but we are currently uh, working on a record and hope to have it out. You know, it all depends on what's going on in the, in, in the world uh looks like yeah. it'll probably be some point next year now um but um yeah we, we we've been working our record and again this this is the record that should be the follow-up to witness rebirth so um you know a little darker a little more aggressive than that uh, has has obviously uh you know a little leeway influence, a little Chromag's influence, but uh, songs came out awesome. We're, we're all really excited about these. So uh, Nick's been producing it, and uh, yeah, hoping to get back in the studio in the next month or so and start um, start tracking the vocals. That's great. But uh, also, you've done your own. Uh, you did another band. Yeah, or started another band. A few. That you, a uh, few bands. You actually. Well, let's let's do the one that I know the records came out. Oh, so. Okay. Uh, the the birth old city yeah so you finally you finally got your vocal chops up and you're you want to attack it again okay so so I'll tell you this but before that so I before that I had a band called uh, World Be Free with uh, Sammy Siegler that's right that's right yeah so right. Sammy Siegler Scott Sammy. Scott Vogel um, Arthur from GB we we recorded a record from Rev we actually have a new record coming out this summer on Rev um, that's done so. I'm writing all these songs. I'm in a band with Scott. Scott's crazy. He's out of his mind. I'm in a band with Rick. Rick's hard to pin down. And I'm like, yo, I want to do a band, and I fucking hate singers. I'm so sick of these singers. Um, so I'm like, you know what? I'm just, I'm gonna. I wrote these songs. I, I'm just gonna try to sing. Like I know I talked about it in the past, but I'm gonna do my best to um, to really do it this time. I had a little bit more of an understanding of recording. And um, so I went in to the studio with our drummer. We, we tracked um, all the songs for the demo and, and the seven inch um, at once. And then uh, we worked with Aaron uh, Jamili, who was in Alpha Omega. Um, and, uh, you know, I told him, I was like, hey, I'm going to come in and sing. Like, you got to be patient with me because I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard for me. So I went in and I'd work on a song at a time. And, you know, now with with technology and, and pro tools like it's much easier to sing line by line and you know it's much easier 
you know, I before I just went full full blast and tried to get through the song and it just didn't work. But this one I just did line by line and you know, I was really happy with my vocals and um we recorded the demo and kind of just put it out there without announcing who was in the band and put the whole band together and just started playing shows and it you know, the response has uh has been great and we've been uh fortunate to get on a lot of really cool shows and do some touring. Uh, we did East Coast Run with Fireburn and Kill Your Idols, and you know we we've been up to the Bay Area probably more times than Strife at this point, which is pretty crazy. Uh, and we, you know, we 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 do really great up in the Bay. Um, I want to say probably the best reaction of any place that Berthold plays is is the Bay Area. So shout out to the Bay. Um, and then right before the lockdown, we did a. Uh, Pacific Northwest tour with uh, Change, Scowl, and uh, Punitive Damage. Um, and um, yeah, we just stay busy. We got two seven inches out. Um, we recorded on a few comps and and recorded a few cover songs. And uh, we're going to be working on an LP as well. So um, staying busy with that. But it's a cool band because uh, it's a band like. I could just say yes. People are like, hey, do you want to do something for the comp? I'd say yes. And I just need my drummer there. I could record everything if I have to. And, um, you know, we tr we try to just do as much as we can and we all have fun and, you know, not take ourselves too serious, seriously, which is... Yeah, and it's super rad. It's like a full throwback style. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, it's a straight edge band, which, you know, I felt like... We don't even have straight edge songs, but but I felt like it was kind of a cool thing. I like, you know, at this point, like it seems like straight edge really isn't cool anymore. Uh, so we just wanted to be like, you know, band of older dudes, everyone's straight edge and just kind of like represent that. Uh, but yeah, kind of throwback, very straightforward, hardcore, um, angry still. And, and it's been fun. Yeah, I think the move is if you just dip a little bit of strife into it it could like be really special you know because you have that full youth crew ish sound and it's like if you just did one of like the classic strife cutouts like dun, 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 yeah dun, 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 you know yeah it's, it's it, like oh it if you just incorporated a tiny tiny yeah. bit of it like it could really really stand out well so here's the thing so now that i i'm in like three active bands i i i, I have to like really work to make them different so like my world be yeah, free songs no, can't sound like Berthold songs, which can't sound like right, Strife. Right. So I got to kind of like carve out a direction in the songwriting where uh, like if something sounds like Strife, it's going to go to Strife. Right. You know, sure. Uh, and, and and it's like world be free is also like a throwback kind of hardcore sound. But so I got to differentiate that from Berthold, too. So Berthold has this stripped down kind of angrier vibe but but you know i think i've been working on songs for an lp i've been writing a lot of songs and i think you know we'll see a little bit of a change in direction just because you know i gotta what is it is writing an lp is gnarly yeah it's, it's gnarlier than writing a seven inch so you gotta you gotta branch out exactly I, I i'm you know it's gonna be 12 or so songs they can't all sound the same so you're gonna hear um you know, we'll definitely have songs like influenced by like Boston Hardcore, SSD and DYS and songs influenced by Youth of Today. But we might, you know, we got to have like 
longer song. Everything can't be a short, angry piece, right? So it's kind of like finding that balance um, and, and writing songs, whether it's like influenced by Turning Point or Judge or whatever. Like we, we're, I, I think there'll be more room to experiment a little bit more on the LP and, and branch out uh, just a little bit. So yeah, we should just we should close out on uh, on you saying what the the band name comes from because when I was like looking at it, I was like, man, that's kind of a weird band name. But then once you find out what it is, it's like one of the raddest names possible. Yeah. So so Berthold City is it's the name of the font um, used by like every classic hardcore band. Like SSD was in, you know probably the first to use it. Um, but Chain of Strength uses it and Gorilla Biscuits use it. So like, you know, originally I was, I was trying to think of a name of the band that was just different, that wasn't like super generic. Um, and I had this idea, I was like, yo, we should, we should say we're from Berthold City. Like I wanted to be like band name and we're Berthold City Hardcore, which means like we're hardcore from this place that is hardcore. And then I was just like, yo, I'm just gonna call it Berthold City, like, you know, it, it, it's a little weird and, and different uh, for the type of man we play, but I think it's cool, and I think if you know the meeting, I think it, I think it's cool, you know. It, it, it. Yeah, just, I think the kids are waiting for that uh, Times New Roman diss track. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, uh, but, uh, wingdings. Um, yeah, so, yeah, man. yeah, staying busy, so I got, I, we got a few records hopefully coming out, um, from all from all my bands so yeah man but coming up this summer new world be free lp that's gonna be sick yeah 12 inch 12 inch five song 12 inch um we got alex from chain uh, chain of strength now on bass um record came out amazing I, th- I i think people are gonna be really excited for that i'm really happy with how, how that came out um probably strife lp will be the next thing to come out and then the Berthold city lp so so yeah busy yeah, that's great. Well, you've been very generous with your time. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no problem. Is it long interview? I hope I haven't uh, bored too many people. If you made it to the end, no, if you made it to the end, I appreciate you. <laughs> I appreciate you. Yeah, if if you, if you made it to the end, use the Berthold City uh, discount code yeah. when you order from. Uh, I'll, I'll put Andrew. I'll put one up there. I'll have one for a week. You <laughs> use the discount code. I'm gonna input this right now. Yeah. Use the dis- discount yeah. code. Um, Berthold City, one word, all together. I'm going to do it all together on war-rec.com. It'll be up there from a week from when this uh, from when this airs. So there you go. Yeah. Handle business, guys, you know. And, uh, yeah, so, Andrew, you feel like you've been well-represented? Well-represented in this interview? Yeah. Yeah, you did a, you did a great job. You did a great job. You, 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 you missed out on one whole band, but... That's true. But it's not so, a hard I, I apologize it's uh, not, Sammy and Vol- No, a different one. A different band. We didn't even touch oh. we didn't even touch it. But it's not a hardcore band, so it's okay. We can gloss it over. Um it, What what was it? Let's see if I recognize it or you, not. You probably not. So I did I did a band uh probably about six years ago called uh Cross My Heart, Hope to Die with uh DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill. We did two records oh. on Alpha Pup and kind of uh trip hop, Portisetti, uh really cool really cool band um music to fuck to yeah exactly so it's it's up on spotify we got a couple really cool videos on uh you can probably find them on youtube 
Um, but definitely out of the box, like, you know. Hey, you got to link it into your Discogs. It's a cool part of your stuff. Oh, it's not in Dis- I, not in Discogs. All right. I got I to gotta figure that link, link that in. We, we have an LP out, actually. Um, both EPs on one LP. Uh, label called Traffic uh, put it out. They put out like the. It came, uh, it came out on vinyl? Yeah, yeah, it's out on vinyl. Uh, Traffic. Oh, I'm going to look it yeah, up. Yeah, Traffic did a box set for um, Jizza. The box set that was like the chess chessboard. Yeah, yeah, they they yeah, for the Liquid Swords. Yeah, release. they they put out uh, put out the LP of this. Holy shit! Well, trying to trying to conserve my money during COVID, but uh, just take it from me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to it on Spotify. If you dig it, if you dig it, I got you. I'll, I'll hook you up next show. It could be twenty twenty one, could be twenty twenty two, but next <laughs> next show, got you. Yeah, I'm 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 taking this shit seriously, dude. I'm not uh I'm not trying to get the COVID. No, I'm not trying to get it, but really I'm not trying to spread it, right? So like Yeah. I got a good immune system. I'm not I'm not too worried about catching it myself or, you know. But I don't want to affect others around me and 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 be one of those asymptomatic a symptomatic uh carriers. So, I'm going to do my best. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, man. That's all we can do. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good night. Thanks for the interview.